out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and right-doing. There is a field. I'll meet you there. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about. Ideas, language, even the phrase each other doesn't make sense. Hi everyone. Getting to know today's guest is surely one of the highlights of my 2021. I am terribly excited to introduce you to Peter Dukes. Peter is a craniosacral therapist or practitioner, whatever you choose to call it, and a recovery coach. If you want or need trauma work done or want to know more about your inner child, Peta is your person. I really rate her knowledge and insight. If you want to contact her, please mail her on peta.dukes at gmail.com. That is peta, P-E-T-A dot dukes, D-U-K-E-S at gmail.com. I relate with Peta on so many levels and the chat got a bit out of hand <laughs> because of this. So this episode is longer than the current standard ones. I am thus not going to say any more and happily introduce better to you. This podcast is supported by Orangutans in the Field, the podcast where Marva and I talk about lifestyle, how it impacts our mental health and how we deal with it. Catch this unedited, raw, sometimes hard-eating and always blatantly honest podcast on Anchor FM and Iona FM. Please also look out for information on my book Life and Non, a 12-step guide to life for non-addicts. You can find it by following the link from the right of my homepage, which is www.freddy.org.za. It costs 300 grand without postage. Order from me in my shop at www.freddyshop.co.za. All Freddy's are spelled with an I-E at the end. This is Peter's story. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Me and technology. Oh my word. I am giving a talk to the um, 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 professional South African, professional speaking association of Southern Africa on Wednesday night about podcasting. Now, can you imagine if I, if I can't even find a bloody record button <laughs> and get my sound sorted out, how I am going to to tell them how efficiently I run my podcast. <laughs> it's going to be very interesting. Watch, watch this space. <laughs> so, Peter, welcome to Meet Me in the Field. How bloody awesome to have you on my screen before me. I am so excited about tonight. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm also excited, Freddie. Thanks so much for asking me. And I'm looking forward to whatever the conversation brings out. Whatever, happen, whatever happens in the field does not stay in the field. <laughs> it goes out <laughs> in the big, bad, big, bad world for everyone to listen to. So, so I'll, I'll, I'll warn you about that. I nearly told you okay. that everything we discuss is confidential. <laughs> <laughs> so if everything we discuss is, 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 is for the open public to, to hear. Um, this is not a safe container. <laughs> For for the listeners, duly noted. <laughs> for the listeners, why I'm saying this is is better, and I met through through the recovery coaching, and um, and this is what you do in a recovery coaching session. You tell the client that everything is confidential, and we're creating a safe container for them. And this is not the coaching session. This is podcasting. This is going out into the world. So I'm very happy to hear that that you are doing well. Is it pissing down in Durban as well? With rain because it came no, from, we've had it storms isn't. for the past two days. 
a bit chilly. It's getting a bit chilly here, but there's no rain yet. I'm sure it's on its way. Okay. If it's well, raining there, was, it's going to rain here eventually. Yeah. But yesterday I was sitting with this top with my hoodie on in a meeting and it was freezing. And there was a guy in Durban sitting with his shorts and his t-shirt. And I was going of... <laughs> 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 not okay. So Peter, tell me, you are currently sitting in Durban. Where, where were you born and bred? I was born in Joburg, Germiston. Oh, and you were um, Yeah. Okay. But we moved to KwaZulu-Natal, to a very tiny little town called Danhauser, when I was two. And I've been in KwaZulu-Natal ever since. What the hell happens in a place called Danhauser? Well, my there? dad bought the brickyard um, outside Danhauser. So he made bricks when I was little. Okay. Um, yeah, so we had these huge big kilns that used to get packed and then closed yeah. and fight. You know, um, they they were fired with wood as yeah. well. Yeah, and there's always always the, the 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 smoke coming out. Yeah. Yes. Oh, cool. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And and did you do schooling there as well, or did you go away for for, for school? Because Dunhouse sounds like a really a small place. Tiny place um, between Dundee and Ladysmith. But when I was five, we moved to Dundee okay. and I went, I was at Dundee Junior Primary and Dundee Senior Primary. Okay. And then I went to Peter Maritzburg to a uh, school for girls for high school. Ooh. Keep, keep this one away from the boys. Was that the, was that the strategy? Become school <laughs> for girls. Um, I, I think it was twofold. Um, my... Mm, my, my mom was very concerned about the um, sort of male-centric um, uh, um, culture that she found at Dundee High. Okay. Um, so she, she, she wanted us to be in a place where we would um, see us, not see ourselves as second-class citizens. Ah. So it was it was more about um, making sure that we got an education in in which we would um, know that um, women were equal, okay. rather than um, the first team rugby being the mm. <laughs> being the important thing and the girls hockey never being mentioned. You know, ah, hashtag true story. <laughs> Hashtag true story. <laughs> Listen, and was it a Catholic school? Um, no, it wasn't. It was uh, it was Wickham School for Girls. It was Anglican. It was a very tiny school, two hundred girls from class oh, one wow. trick. Whoa, good grief! Um, That's small. Yeah, it was tiny, and it was um, it was very colonial. Manners maketh man, you know. <laughs> awfully colonial. <laughs> and awfully. And we had, um, you know, uh, dresses. We had a uniform for Sundays and a uniform for during the week. And we wore hats, Sunday hats. Oh, and word. Big black hats and berets for when it rained. And we had gloves for church and all sorts of stuff. Are you serious? Oh, my <laughs> yeah. word. That sounds And we, on Saturdays... On Saturdays, we used to go to the Anglican Church St. George's up the road to polish the brasses and all sorts of things. It was a full-on. 
Good Full on boarding school experience, yeah. Oh, my word. And how did you find the whole boarding school experience? Um, <laughs> it's just, it, as you ask that question, just so many things come flooding in. Oh, my word. So I was, I was really very much of a tomboy growing up. Um, I, I played with the boys in the street. We played in the felt. I climbed okay. trees. I was happier in a tree than with the dolls. Um, and yeah, I think going to boarding school was quite a shock. Um, although I wanted to be there, you know, okay. I did want to be there, but I felt very disconnected from my family. Um I, I think I cried every day for mm. the first six months to a year. Yeah. Um, the, being away from my family was very difficult. Yeah. Um, but I liked the small school. Um, I was I was very much of a loner as a kid. Um, you know, if, if I wasn't playing in the afternoons outside, I was inside reading. Okay. You know. That's I've, I've spent mm. my my life with the head in, my head in a book. Escapism, um, lovely job yeah. as well. My mother used to call it that. Like going into um, in Afrikaans ensemble opslating in English solitary confinement. I put myself in solitary confinement until the books finished. Then I, then very I really much so, <laughs> very much so. And from the time I could read, I was like that. I lived in the fantasy mm. world, you know. Yeah. Uh, and I got extra library books and I mean extra library cards because otherwise I was at the library every second day. You know? <laughs> <See>. <laughs> awesome. And you you have two sisters. I do, both younger than me. I'm the oldest. Okay. Same. So 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 you were kind of the icebreaker to, to the first one to go to high school, first one to leave home. Oh, yes. That must be difficult. Yeah, but also life wasn't easy for me, you know. Life wasn't easy for me in, in junior school and primary school, and I was quite happy to, to disappear. Okay. So, yeah, I was happy to go to boarding school, although I was also very sad to be away from my family. Okay. And, you know, um, looking back in later years, I've kind of felt like, yeah, we really were institutionalized. You know, we used to get locked up at night. <laughs> I used to wait at five o'clock in the morning for the guard to come past and unlock the gates so I could go down and swim, do my lengths every morning and stuff. Oh, my God. It sounds like Ria. <laughs> the Ria that I was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have been institutionalized a number of times <laughs> in my life. <laughs> so, you know, you now know what the def definition of institutionalized is. So, hence, hindsight. So yeah. um, did you grow up religiously? Did you grow up with religion? I suppose there's a difference in the, in the two questions, are there? So definitely not religiously. Um, my father was an outspoken atheist. Oh, wow. Um, but we were sent to Sunday school. Okay. Um, he he always said he thought that it was a very good way to live your life, but he was he didn't buy into it. Sure. He, he, Interesting. He felt the yeah no absolutely. So yeah, I went to Sunday school. I loved singing. I loved I loved going to going to Sunday school. 
the the people that ran the Sunday school were very loving people and I loved being there. And I certainly had, I had a need in me for that kind of connection. And um, I liked singing in church. I liked the worship side of things, you know. And when I was in high school, I played the guitar and I played, um, I, I was in the our Christian association, which was called the Seekers. And I was the one, I played the guitar for the Seekers and we used to do an assembly once a week and I was on the stage playing my guitar, singing for the school and stuff. Um, and, and, and unlike the others, you were head banging while you were playing the guitar. <laughs> Uh, not at school, hey, Freddie. I was very, 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 very sheltered. Is it? You know, I wasn't, no, I, we, I grew up in, Dundee was a very conservative Afrikaans town. Okay. And I wasn't allowed to play with the English kids because they were allowed to do things I wasn't allowed to do. So I played okay. with Afrikaans kids because oh, wow. I kind of fit in more there. My mother yeah. was a teacher. She was a strict disciplinarian. Ooh. So... Yeah, um, and and certainly the first time the first time I banked out of school when I was sixteen was to go to the royal show with a guy, um, and my mother knew before I got back, and as I walked into school, she was on the phone, oh, well, um, giving me a thousand words, and she. She gated me. She didn't tell the school, but she gated me. I wasn't allowed to leave the school unless it was to go somewhere with my parents for like three months. Good grief. And where did you meet this guy in a in a in an all-girls school? Um, he was a friend of a family friends and he went to college down the road. Okay. And yeah. Um, we'd been at a, a uh, oh, we used to have a yearly f- school fete at the city hall, and we've been at that. And I went from the, okay. from there instead of going back to school like I was ah. supposed to. Ah, okay. And um, was that the general trend? Were you were you were you a kind of a, a, a rebel later in high school, or were you quite compliant and a good student? No, after that banking out, I was completely compliant, but I wasn't a good student. Well, you know. The thing was that I came first in class every term. Right, I wasn't, I wasn't a good five. student, but I came first in class. Okay. No, no well, because I was at home and my mother made me right. Oh, and then okay. I went to high school, and I still, and I, and I still. Well, I was I'm I'm fairly intelligent and <clears throat> intellectual, and I didn't really have to work. But once I got kind of got into. Um, Nine and ten, the trauma has, was starting to show, and I, I, uh, my ADD was coming out. I couldn't concentrate. Oh, my no. marks started to drop. I was quite depressed, um, mm. and I didn't really like setting foot out of line because I got caught every time. You know, <laughs> my One younger sister, who's ones. fourteen months younger than me, she was much more of a rebel. <laughs> yeah. But once I left school. Well, then, you know, then it was a different story. All bets were off. And where did you go after school? I went to Vits. To Vits? To do speech and hearing. Yeah. 
from a small so town like Dundee to Peter Maritzburg, which isn't exactly a metropolis, to Vets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my word. To, 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 to speak a language therapy. Speech and hearing therapy, yeah. Okay. Oh, wow. Um, but I dropped out after my first year, and then I went to work for my dad for, for a year. In Dundee, not a good idea. No, but then he was he had his own engineering business and okay. he made agricultural implements and all sorts of stuff. And oh, I went wow. to work for him as a bookkeeper. Okay. And then the town was not big enough for me and my mother. <laughs> so <laughs> for both of one, us, I, one, one I had of to you move had on. To go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I came to um, Teachers Training College in Pinetown, Edgewood. Okay. Um, and I was there for two years. I would, I'd, by the time I was 22, I'd done three geographicals. <laughs> oh, my word. Yeah. So you also didn't qualify as a teacher? No, I didn't. Okay. Um, Did you just not enjoy to... it? Or what, what was it about teaching? No, I, I dodged a bullet, hey. <laughs> My mom's a teacher and both of my sisters are teachers and oh, I escaped. Word. I escaped. Oh. And um, I really, um, then I'd been working for my dad and doing his books and then I went into, um, I went into administration, basically. Okay. Whatever job I could find. My, my dad, after I dropped out of teacher's training college, then cut off any support and um i had to go and my, make my way in the world oh wow um and then eventually i in uh, i did do um a bcomt with unisa and oh, also wow. never finished also <laughs> never finished but this i got a bit further this time so um and and i went i I worked at Deloitte and Touche as well um, okay. as a senior accounts administrator. Um, yeah. And it was round about, round about then. I'd been at Deloitte for two years. Yeah, while I was at Deloitte, two years. When I was 26, 27, going on to 28, that I kind of like looked at my life and thought, what the hell am I doing? I don't want to be working in corporate. This is, ah. this is going to kill me. Um, okay. And I did some transformational workshops at that point called the human touch. Okay. Um, they run in various different forms around the country. Quest, I am trainings, um, what, what are they? The current ones in Cape Town are Landmark Forum. Oh, okay. Yes, I've heard of them. Um, those kinds of things. And, um, yeah, I resigned, my, I resigned from my job at Deloitte and I went and worked for myself doing books for various people. Okay. Um, and then they... I had gone to them specifically to work with a particular um, agricultural management and accounting software that they imported from the UK, which I installed 
um, at farmers and trained their staff okay. um, and set up the package because it was quite flexible um, and then trained the staff. And then about a year after I resigned, they decided that the it didn't really fit their corporate culture anymore. And they offered me the agency for South Africa and I still have that. <laughs> oh, cool. So... Yeah, I had about, I started off with about 20 odd clients, but you know, over the year, and, and that's basically kept me going all these years, um, oh, in some form or another, but basically what happened was the Rand Pound exchange rate, that, so that was in the 90s when that happened, and then the Rand Pound exchange rates and plus some changes in the ownership structure in the UK in farm plan kind of killed my business, but I still have about three clients that still use, use the package. Okay. And I provide email support and training and that kind of stuff. Okay. And at that stage, yeah. were you still single and happy or was there already a, a man and children involved or where were you? Um. So as I was leaving Deloitte, I broke up with the guy I'd been going out with for about four years. Um, mm. And I was on my own for a couple of years. And then I got married and had children in my 30s. Okay. okay. Yeah. And, and with the healing touch, was what was that journey like? Was that a seeking for a place in the world or was that a seeking for a spiritual world or, 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 or what was that about you know freddie um like for most of my 20s i was desperately unhappy um did I, the depression did you, did depression carry through from from high school from from high school it carried through okay. i tried to commit suicide when i was 19 it was one of the reasons i left fits oh, um and um, I mean, I had been really abusing alcohol from the moment um, from the moment I took my first drink when I got to Fasty. Okay. I hadn't touched anything while I was at school, and yeah, there was there was just something that was that was wrong, and I didn't know what it was. And and I mean that that um, like underlying malcontent, discontent, discomfort, um, feeling that there was something wrong with the world or with me. I mean, I felt that all of my life anyway, yeah. really. And that kind of had driven, you know, it, it was kind of taken care of in the, in the sort of um, all that I really had a spiritual vehicle at school um, and as a child was, was in the church. Um, yeah, and 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 resigning from Deloitte's with having panic attacks and mm. um, all that kind of stuff, and then really starting to look at well, what what is actually going on here? And then when I did that, those transformational workshops, um, I always had this feeling that there was more to life, you know, than just this thing that I was experiencing. Yeah. Um, and, and those workshops really woke me up to, of course, there's more to love than, than just the, the physical um, cool. material world and what well. we think there is, you know. And I did a course on spiritual healing. 
Oh, wow. Um, and, yeah, I started to, I suppose, work with energies um, that, you know, I'm, I'm, my family, my mom always said she was psychic. She always knew when something was wrong with us. There was always some kind of more to everything. Um And, and then I got married and m- married and had a baby quite quickly. So married when I was 30 and, and first baby the year I turned 32. Um, and certainly my marriage was, I, I don't even know how to say this, but, but it, it just, it just didn't. You're supposed to get married and have babies and be happy, you know? Yeah. And that's, well, that's, certainly... a, that, that's the picture in all the magazines and on TV. Absolutely. And all the princess stories and everything, you know, you live happily ever after. Mm. Um, and that certainly wasn't my experience. Um, I, had, um, I had had issues around my sexuality um, in in late junior school and early high school, in my 20s, um, I, I was questioning whether I was straight or gay. And really, really, I've, I've identified now as pansexual. Okay. But then we didn't have those Absolutely. options, you know, yeah. and I didn't fit into the, the lesbian uh, you know, the, the lesbian yeah. community. I wasn't gay enough for them. Um, <laughs> and so you were bisexual, <laughs> they used to say bisexual, they, if you can't call yourself bisexual. That's just a cop-out from coming out. And, um, yeah, so I was really, like, I'm always on the edge looking in. I wasn't straight enough for the straight people. <laughs> I wasn't gay enough for yeah, the gay people. Oh, my word. And so I never really felt like I fitted in. And, and then I got married and and I was, I mean, I'm, I don't blame like the failure of my marriage on my ex-husband. We were two traumatized children who mm-hmm. were ticking boxes, you yeah. know. And then suddenly there we were married and there was all this stuff. And it was just triggers and there was miscommunication and anger and whole bunches of anger. And with every miscommunication, the trauma gets triggered and the inner child goes for a ball of shit and it's just a messy, messy, messy affair. Oh, Messy. And I just got angrier and (sighs) angrier and angrier. And then when I was about 30... 35, I had my second baby, and shortly after that, I did a course in craniosacral therapy, and one of the requirements for the course was that we engage in some kind of stillness practice. Okay. And although I had been part of this sort of alternative spiritual community, I didn't have any kind of um, anchoring meditation practice or anything like that. Yeah. So I, I was um, doing spiritual healing and, and going to um, all sorts of alternate courses and I was very hippified and I, um, 
you know, I had all this alternate thinking, but I didn't have any sort of grounding spiritual practice. And then when I was, when I was doing the cranio course and we were required to do a, um, a stillness practice, it was, it's, it's quite a funny story. I, um, I lost my temper with my ex-husband trying to put my youngest daughter, I think she was about six or eight months old, to sleep. And, and are you okay, Freddie? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> for, 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 for the listeners, because you don't get video, I just had a coughing attack and I'm trying, I'm trying to, to, to indicate to Peter, stop talking, I need to cough. <laughs> <laughs> okay, coughing attack over, I'm cool. So you were trying, okay, to, cool. try, trying to put your baby to sleep. Yeah, and I was stomping around and I, I fell in the garden, watering the garden at night. And I broke my, well, I didn't break my ankle. I sprained my ankle really badly. And, you know, it was just all this, this anger, unexpressed anger. And I, I had nowhere to put it. And my ex-husband and I were in marriage counseling. And I was, um, I couldn't drive anywhere because I had this moon boot on my leg. Mm. And I wanted him to go and fetch me chocolates and he wouldn't. And... <sighs> No, this this um, rage around inability to control the people around me, and mm-hmm. um, and I was okay. supposed to, in the marriage counselling, I was supposed to journal around anger, and I went to pick up my journal out of my basket, and there was this pamphlet that one of the cranio guys had given about a Buddhist centre. And anything to avoid actually journaling and facing what the feelings, you know. So I opened the pamphlet to read it and I saw there the spiritual teacher's name was Gensandak. And, and a friend of mine had given his, me his number about a year or two earlier and his name was in my outlook. So I recognized his name and I thought, oh, that's the guy Kathleen told me to talk to. And the next course was how to deal with our anger problem. And it was really oh. like the universe had just gone and sideswiped yeah. me <laughs> and said, right, you will. <laughs> you know? mm. So I registered for that course at the Buddhist center and basically found a spiritual home. Oh, wow. I, I'd been trying to meditate for years. I thought there was something wrong with me. I couldn't sit still for 30 seconds. I certainly couldn't clear my mind. And, you know, I, and now I understand all the, you know, all the trauma and everything. Yeah. Um, the discomfort in my body was so great that sitting still was practically mm. impossible for me. Yeah. Um, now, I want to quickly interrupt you there. So we, we kind of from the same generation. You're, you're about 50. Am I correct? I'm 50, yeah. Awesome. Born in 1970, yeah. 1967 for me. And, and in our days... ADD, ADHD wasn't a thing. No, it wasn't. I mean, I remember there was a girl a year ahead of me in high school who was on Ritalin, but she was the only one in our whole school, you know. Oh, yeah. So, 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 no, it wasn't a thing. Okay. You were just, you were just naughty, you know. So, this, so, so you were undiagnosed for, for a very long period. Yeah, in actual fact, I only really was diagnosed in the last eight or nine years. Wow. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Um, even though I was working in craniosacral therapy and working with kids with ADD, 
I didn't actually realize that the this all of my life I have been I will get um completely and utterly absorbed with one subject and I will I will put everything into it, you know, and then I'll go and research everything and find out everything there is to know about it. But don't ask me to sit and do something I'm not interested in because it's just never going to happen. Yeah. You know? Interesting. Yeah. You, you eventually found a spiritual home for yourself and learned how to meditate, I presume. How did that address the anger for you? Well, you know, but Buddhism is very interesting because there are a lot of, there are a lot of instructions, but they don't really apply to everybody. You know, it's like you, and um, there are a whole bunch of medicines. And if you go to a doctor with diabetes, you don't get the same medicine as somebody does who's got a heart condition. So you really um, need a teacher to, to direct you okay. in, in the right practices. And with my anger problem, the instruction that I was given was to practice acceptance with the small things in my life. Okay. Practice acceptance with the small things. And my teacher told me that once the delusion of anger had taken hold, there was practically nothing that one could, could do. You know, I used to throw serious temper tantrums, mm. break things and kick things and stuff. And he just said to me, if you practice acceptance, because acceptance is the antidote to anger. Yeah. If you practice acceptance with the small things in your life and you exercise the acceptance muscle slowly but surely, the times that you lose your temper will get further and further apart. Okay. And I did what he, I did what he said, and it it was so slowly but surely. Awesome. The anger dissipated. However, there was a level of anger that didn't get dealt with. You know, um, one has got to be careful of spiritual bypassing. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I like that term, spiritual bypassing. That's awesome. I've never heard it. Have you not? No. It's quite a thing. Absolutely. If anger has arisen, acceptance, acceptance can sort of quieten the anger. And if one practices anger with the small things in one in one's life, one will eventually come to accept the big things that are causing yeah. huge anger. Yeah. But when there's deep childhood, unacknowledged deep childhood trauma, yes, acceptance can do nothing. Absolutely. It's not going to take the trauma away. Not going to take the trauma away. And and it's really important that that trauma is acknowledged. Mm. It's important for the inner child. Otherwise, yeah. the inner child feels unheard. You know, the, the healthy adult can practice acceptance. But the, but the inner child doesn't understand <laughs> acceptance. Absolutely, yeah. So oh, that's, inner that inner child has to be acknowledged yeah. and all of that stuff. And that's work that I've come into maybe in the last four or five years. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Eventually. Um, yeah, eventually. There are lots of spiritual bypassing happening in my life, yeah. at, at, you know, in my late 30s I and early 40s. Um, and then let's go back to what craniosacral therapy is. 
Craniosacral therapy is a very interesting um, modality. It's, it's an alternative healing modality. My teacher used to like to say it's where the science and art of healing meet. Ah. And a craniosacral practitioner is somebody who is able to go into stillness and holds the other person physically with your hands. So it's not like Reiki, okay. which is sort of an, an energy healing, no. but one, one holds the head of the person and listens with one's hands to what is actually going on in the fluid body of the, of the person that one's working oh. with. And, and craniosacral therapy offers the body the opportunity to complete the processes that it was mobilized for. So it's really a trauma recovery process. And basically we understand now a lot more than, than we did when I was doing cranio 15 years mm. ago. And it was all very new information to me then. But we, we did a lot of work, um, a lot of Peter Levine and Stephen Porges work around what happens in the body when one is mobilized for fight or flight and how um, those processes can be interrupted and the energy can get trapped in the body. Yeah. And then all sorts of pathologies yeah. happen. Oh, wow. And, and, and that stuff has, over the past 10 years, really, really, really became very, very prevalent in, in therapy. In, in, in the Absolutely. When we, we, Absolutely. We're talking the whole gut-brain gut connection, the, the, the vagus nerve, um, polyvagal theory, therapy, all those type of things. All that stuff. So I was oh. learning all that stuff 15 years ago and <laughs> thinking it was about learning how to work with other people. Yeah. And really, it was about my own journey, you know. And so cranio offers the body the opportunity to complete the processes that it was mobilized for, kind of layer by layer. It's a very subtle process. When the body feels heard, just like when I feel heard, I, I sometimes can let go of the things that I've been yeah. holding on to mentally and psychologically. In cranio, we reflect back to the body, what we find there. And in reflecting it back, the body says, oh, somebody's hearing me. Yeah. And, and then sometimes it can let go of what it's been holding, you know. Cool. Awesome. So that, that um, ties quite nicely into Peter Levine's somatic experiencing, actually. Okay. So I got a lot of cranio at that time. And I was studying Buddhism and learning to meditate and discovering that you, do, you don't have to empty your mind. In fact, you can't. And, um, <laughs> yeah, don't try the impossible. It's not going to Yeah, happen. <laughs> it's never going to happen. <laughs> so the thoughts keep coming like bubbles in an ocean. And really the only choice we have um, is what we pay attention to. Absolutely. You know, and, and meditation is really creating the inner muscle of learning to direct the mind where one wants it because it's an incredible tool, but it can yeah. cut you if you don't know how to use it. Only jump on the train that's yours when you stand at the station. You're not Absolutely. going to stand at the station and jump onto every train that, that, that arrives on your platform. You're going to wait for your no. train. 
And, and that, that's, that, that's why I explain to people, for me, what meditation is. The thoughts are going to come. You can observe them arriving. It's not your train. Let it go. Just observe, let go. Observe, let go. Come back, come back to Absolutely. breathing. Or come back to, to whatever it is. Yeah. Cool. So, yeah. and, and you are rediscovering, if I can call that, yourself now again as a craniosacral therapist. You're actually going to start working as that again. Am I correct? So, yes, I have. I'm putting all the things in place. I, I now have oh. a room ready to work and, awesome. um, and I have some people that I live with who are all going to swap various Fabulous. things with oh, me, massage and reflexology, yeah. and we're all mm. going to use the healing room and let's see what comes. Fabulous, yeah. Mm. Fabulous. Um, have you ever heard of something called access bars? I've heard of it. I've heard of it, Freddie, but I haven't. Um, I haven't gone into it. Yeah, I've had that done to me once or twice, and that is where a therapist also holds your head, but they change their hand position after a certain time. So there's very specific hand positions that they do on your head at stages, and. I also don't know the theory, the theory behind it, but at some stage, I felt my whole body jerking. Like, like sometimes when you fall asleep, you get that feeling. Yeah. Um, and kind of before my, my head or my body jerked, the therapist said, there it goes, and my body went clue. Um, and afterwards, she said, oh, that was a, a, what they refer to as an entity that left. Because with the, with the work we do as, as therapists, there's a lot of entities flying around in our rooms, and we can absolutely actually, can actually absorb them. Yeah, absolutely, and and even ones that still hang around from our act of addiction. Mm. Absolutely, cool. Yeah. So now, now you're a craniotherapist. You are still married with two children. What happens next? So what happens next is my dad died. In 2011, I was 41, and I, I really suddenly just looked at my life and thought, I'm wasting, I'm wasting my time in this marriage. I think that what what I, what really happened was, I suddenly accepted that my ex-husband was who he was, and he was never going to change. And either I had to accept him and live with our marriage as it was, or I needed to leave. Yeah. And actually, it was a Tuesday night that I realized that. <laughs> I can remember it very <laughs> clearly. It was Valentine's Day. Oh, my um, And I just suddenly knew that I, I was asking too much of him. It wasn't fair. And that it was done for me. And I moved out on the Friday. Wow. Yeah. And in that time, you know, I mean, we, our marriage was physically, physically and verbally abusive. And I had come across the idea in that time that I, I knew that I had a part to play in this thing. And that there was something in me that had attracted this person. And that if... 
if I didn't take responsibility for my part and see what my part was, I was just going to move on to another relationship with the same person with a different name and body. Do you know what I mean? Which happens so, 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 so often. The woman married between one alcoholic after another because she's absolutely. not dealing with, with, with that which attracts her to these type of people. Yeah. Well, well so done for you. <laughs> I set about actually take that's that was what my cranio and my um, Buddhism journey was about was really awesome. going in for me and looking at myself and taking responsibility for my things that also went into uh, started to move into what my childhood trauma was because there was this veneer of I came from a very good perfect family you know yep um and I really couldn't understand how I'd ended up in this abusive marriage because the picture that had been put out to the world was that I didn't come from a family, but that was mm. like that at all, you know. And, and so, like, I started to undo some of the sort of outer layers and put some puzzle pieces in place. Um I had nearly left a number of times. And then when my dad died, it was like, I think the day after my dad died, I said to my mom, I can't do this anymore. And she said, you can't leave your husband the day after your father dies, you know? <laughs> um, and so I kind of stayed for another six months and then, and then it was on Valentine's day and I, and I left and I never looked back. It, it was done. It was all right. It really was. And, and, you know, I'd been grappling with this decision of whether to leave or not. And somebody also in the Buddhist community had said to me, you know, until the, the karma that keeps you together is exhausted, um, <laughs> you, you'll need to stay, you know. Wow. Um, and then one day that karma will be exhausted and you won't have to make a choice. It will just happen. And that's yeah. exactly what happened. It was done, <laughs> you know. <laughs> But, but it was really rather scary, two small children and moving mm -hmm. out on my own. And I didn't, um, you know, I was working half day and I didn't really have that much money. Hmm. But I left. Um, and then about a year after that, trying to get my cranial practice um, up and running and getting involved in various um uh, I was part of a woman's um, a, a, a woman's dream um, group that met every every month. Um, I was doing Stanislav Graf breath work and all sorts of different things over and above the um, sort of Buddhist path that path that I'd been on. I had Vajrayana um, empowerments and I was really very involved in um, all the Buddhist practices that that I had got involved in and then I met I met a guy who was much older than me and basically was what we would call a psychonaut somebody who had explored his psyche through the use of drugs basically <laughs> And then I went and I and I did three or four San Pedro ceremonies, which is like peyote, which oh. can be likened to um, ayahuasca. Yeah. 
And those were quite life-changing for me. I also sort of started to look into, because, because this friend of mine that I met had, I, I, I was, I, you know, through the craniosacral therapy, I'd already come into um, relationship with big pharma and pharmaceutical companies and what was actually going on, what actually drove the, the uh, sort of pharmaceutical allopathic medical sort of side yeah. of things um, coming from a natural perspective. And then I started to look into basically what runs the economy of the world and the central banks and sort of my, my, my conditioning and my programming around what I thought was the way the world works kind of started to get undone. And then I had two prolonged what some people would call psychotic episodes, other people would call spiritual emergencies, some people would call mystical experiences. There's a very fine line between all of those things. Two, I had two episodes 18 months apart that kind of um, broke through what like the last of the very rigid, controlled social conditioning, I suppose. Okay. Yeah, because I was a very controlling, domineering, difficult... <laughs> David <laughs> Collins called me a DC difficult chick. <laughs> <laughs> On our CPRC, you know, <laughs> all sorts of syndromes and ADD and manic depressive and, you know, what you want in... Give me, name a label that's been put yeah. on me at some point or another. <laughs> um, and, it, and really at that point, um, like when, when after my dad died, my mom and I had a bit of an incident and I started to have memories from my childhood. And, you know, this whole facade that of I thought I knew who I was and actually it was all just a lie. And this whole thing started to come apart and mm. I was doing the San Pedro ceremonies and then, and then the psychoses of just this whole, the whole thing just falling away. And in this, this experience realizing I, I came out with two things, nothing exists the way we think it does. I had a, like a, a, um, like a lived experience of that in the psychosis. It, you know, there were no drugs involved in the psychosis. No. They might have contributed to it, but I certainly wasn't using when I was psychotic for two weeks. And the visual and auditory hallucinations that were happening were coming from inside of me. And it was my psyche talking to me. And it's taken me three years to integrate that everything mm -hmm. that's kind of came out of that. Oh. But really, I've come away with two things. One is nothing exists the way we think it does. And two is there is a greater organizing principle, what, whatever you want to call that, that wants me to be the best version of myself that I can be. Awesome. And if I open myself to that, it will work yeah. for me in my life. Yeah. I suppose. That's what I came away with. Yeah. That's wonderful. Mm. And and today, do you still practice Buddhism? 
do, do you know what this greater organizing principle has become for you is, or how does that look for you today? So I still practice Buddhism. And there are certain practices that I've kind of moved away from because they feel a bit dangerous for me. Um, and I did that intuitively and then discovered on this course that I did a while ago with Peter Levine on healing trauma on the spiritual path that they can be quite dangerous for people with um, quite severe trauma. Okay. Um, so there are certain practices that I still engage in. I certainly do meditation on a daily basis. And I think I've shifted what I do in my meditation into instead of um, using the um, physical sensation of the air entering and leaving my nostrils as the object of meditation, which is what I've done for most of my life, I've moved into an what one might call a neurosomatic embodied medita meditation, which is using the, the, the body as the object of meditation. So using a body scan, what am I actually okay. feeling? Can I feel my bones? Where, yeah. you know, what, okay. what is it that I'm actually feeling in my body? Yeah. That's what I'm doing that kind of meditation at the moment. Awesome. Um, the, the visualization practices and stuff that go with um, the Vajrayana path are kind of, um, I do still practice them. Um, with along with my commitments that I made when I when I um, took an initiation in that um, thing, but I, I just don't go into them in quite the same way I used to. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. And so we we met through recovery coaching. How did yes. how did that happen? Sorry, so, not, not, not how we met. How did recovery coaching happen for you? Yeah, no, how did recovery <laughs> coaching happen for me? So, so what happened was um, I came uh, after, after the psychotic episodes, um, I, I went into rehab for six months. Uh, I, I couldn't continue. Uh, at that stage, I was smoking weed daily. And um, I needed to stop and I, I was living with people who were smoking and I wasn't able to stop. So I asked for help and my family put me in rehab in Cape Town for six months and I was introduced to the 12-step program there. Ooh. But for me, there was something missing from the 12-step program. Mm -hmm. I, I went to my NA meetings. I did everything I was told to do. I followed suggestions. I got myself a sponsor. I worked the steps. I did all of those things. But there was an element missing for me that I understood from my craniosacral therapy and from some, some work with a, a psychologist that I'd done during um, the time before I, I came into recovery. Um, and that was the element of trauma. Okay, yeah. And, and um, that addiction is really a disease of dislocation. And the mind, the mind body connection of what happens when one is traumatized particularly um complex post traumatic stress disorder that comes or sometimes they call it pediatric um post traumatic stress disorder that comes out of a sort of 
um, dysfunctional families and that kind of stuff. And so I was in NA and here and, and um, you know, people were saying to me, I, I was like, well, it's not really a disease, you know. And I could accept, okay, it's a dis-ease, a dis-ease of the mind, you know. And I had my, my Buddhist, I was living at the Buddhist um, center when I came out of rehab, when I came okay. back to Durban. And I had my Buddhist teacher saying to me, but, you know, it's just a, addiction is just attachment. And, and I've since read a book called The 12-Step Buddhist, and in there there's a, a piece for spiritual teachers that says, never say to an addict that addiction is just attachment. Because <laughs> 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 there are actually physical body changes, and in actual fact that's because of the trauma stuff, yeah. you know. So the, the trauma stuff and the compassion for um, for childhood trauma and that kind of stuff was kind of missing for me in NA. I moved into the SLAA fellowship and I found more space for it there. I found that, that they were more willing to talk about inner child work and that kind of stuff. And certainly with my sponsees and with myself, I was working around the compassion for self and the understanding that these um, um, behaviors, addictive behaviors, whether it be substance abuse or eat, because I was in an eating disorder unit, whether it's um, food or sex or gambling or whatever it is, these are coping mechanisms mm. that, you, you know, that worked at one point. And actually, yeah. Clever kids that figured out how to keep themselves safe and alive, you know, yeah. because actually it's a survival imperative. Yeah. When when one understands what happens to the to the body when when traumatized and getting stuck in fight or flight or being overwhelmed and going into freeze yeah. and numbing, how are we doing? We get it going over time there, Freddie. I'm no, there. damn it, you're you're so perceptive. While you were talking, I was still thinking about a book that the client told me about, something about the curse or the something of the gifted child. So, so I decided I'm quickly going to look it up. Oh, while you're Alice talking. Miller's drama of the gifted child. Oh, hey. do you know it? Have you read it? I know it so well. I've read it. Absolutely. It's is brilliant. It, is, it, is it worth a read? It's definitely okay. worth a read. Well, I need to Absolutely. type it in here so that I can open the, the drama of the gifted child. Yeah. Because you, what, what you said Miller. reminded me of it. Um, yeah, and, and I mean, it, it really is, you know, um, children oh, growing up in dysfunctional <clears throat> families have to be really, really clever to survive, you know, and, mm. and it's the survival imperative. Um, a child before the age of four understands that without its parents, it dies. So yeah. the, the um, emotional abandonment that it perceives when its parents are not um, able to be present um, is literally a survival threat. Mm. Without your parents' love, they might actually abandon you and you might actually die. So yes. you become very clever at finding ways to self-soothe yeah. and get the love that you need, you know? Yeah, perfectionism. Um, all of the stuff, being the good girl, parents, children, people pleasing, all of these things in order to survive. Absolutely. And then when, when one is trying to undo these um, 
sort of belief systems, it literally is a feeling that one might die if one lets go of these mm -hmm. behaviors. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. So I, I didn't find a space for that in the 12-step no. program. And so I was looking for something else. And also through my own my own um, inner child work. Um, and then I said to my counselor, I thought I would like to go into counseling. And she said to me, well, you're doing it already, actually. You just need a qualification. Yeah. Actually, the, the quickest way to um, be able to, to charging to, to be able to charge for your services is to do coaching. And she actually gave me your number and I phoned you and you told and me about the And that's the first time we spoke. Yeah. Oh, that's the first time yeah. we spoke. Yeah. And then I found I found you act and that's how and that's the rest how is history. coaching. The rest is history. Yeah. And we reconnected when when I did the course and I had to get my hours. That's so, it. So yeah, amazing. And I'm so, so, so happy about it. I actually spoke to to our mutual friend Nikki today about what a gift this connection was for me from the recovery coaching. Oh wow. Mm. No, I'm very, very it's been very, a gift for me great. too. So now as things stand today, you 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 can very nicely merge your recovery coaching qualification with your craniosacral therapy coaching and, and do Absolutely. all the trauma work associated with all of that. So that's interesting. So I went to a rehab center in 2009. Then in 2010 or 2011, I got a call from the rehab and said, but I was also involved with them doing service and all those type of things. So they said, they've kind of gone on this, on this thing of the 12 steps can get you clean. But if you want to stay clean, you need to deal with your trauma. So they've put all their counselors through, through intense trauma training and they want to do a weekend, a long weekend, four, four nights, three nights, where clients that, 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 that's working solid recovery programs, the 12 steps, come and, 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 and get, give their counselors training on the trauma work that they've now learned. And am I interested? Wow. And I said, absolutely, I'm interested. So I booked in there for, 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 for three nights for a most amazing, amazing journey. And I truly, truly believe that unless we do very, very Gabor Mate, if we don't deal with the trauma. I love Gabor Mate. Yeah. We need, we need to get to the trauma. And um, do you know EMDR? I do. Okay. And I do. But very interestingly, I listened to a talk given by Bessel van der Kolk. I, do you, you know he's... No. So he's, this, he's a psychiatrist and he wrote a book called The Body Keeps the Score. And he was um, did the first studies on Prozac when it first came out. Okay. And he, he's very much part of the Gabor Mate, Peter Levine, Stephen Porges okay. of... of plan of of the way of dealing with you no. know finding out what actually trauma does to no. our bodies and and i listened to him and uh, on emdr and he, he because i've actually um experienced emdr I've, I've had it done on me okay and 
But EMDR is very successful with people who suffer from PTSD from a single event. Yeah. Um, because they can so, pinpoint the, the event in, the, in their mind, go there. Yep. Absolutely, yeah. But it's less successful, far less mm. successful with complex post-traumatic Absolutely, yeah. Which is basically what most addicts are dealing with. That's is complex yeah. post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. yeah. So, so my thinking is that I want to do a course, course in that. And, and, in and, EMDR. And, yeah. And in, in counseling, as we get to the trauma events, each of the trauma events we get, we EMDR. Absolutely. So, so even, even though we're dealing with, with, with complex trauma, as, as, as a specific event come up, we deal with that, and then we continue with the counselling. So with the next set of trauma, continue with the counselling. Brilliant. Um, because I feel very powerless in a counselling counseling setup when it comes to trauma. Because, yeah, I've got a counselling qualification, I've got a coaching qualification, but I still don't really know how to deal with trauma. <laughs> you know, I want the tool. I want the tool that works. <laughs> so, so some, you know, somatic experiencing, I think, is, is for me, my my understanding now of somatic experiencing has helped me a lot to understand how I can help my clients with the trauma. Because when there's a trauma vortex, so this, this is how Peter Levine explains it, is that when, when we become overwhelmed, there is this trauma vortex and we kind of avoid going anywhere near it because we get pulled into that trauma vortex. Yeah. But there's another spiral on the other side of the trauma vortex, which is kind of the inner vortex, which is where the resourcing happens. So um, one, one is necess it's necessary to resource oneself mm. with meditation and with um, embodiment work, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And then with somebody who understands, and for, and for instance, this is what craniosacral therapy does. The, the therapist is, is the still place and can take you into that inner vortex, which, which then pulls you into the trauma vortex, but only into the outer layer. So okay. that that outer layer, because um, as, as um, Peter Levine explains, the, the, the trauma, when it gets trapped in the body, it's, there's a huge amount of energy in that. that and mm. if it, if it isn't released and, and in a, a manner of titration, one sort of movement at a time, one small layer at a time, it can um, really, um, you know, one can be re-traumatized. Okay. So that's why okay. like going into like quiet meditation is very difficult for add addicts because it can pull you right into that trauma mm -hmm. vortex. Yeah, and maybe. so, you know, learning to, be okay learning how to navigate one's triggers oh. in daily life so that you can you can actually go into the trauma vortex but come out into yeah. the into the inner vortex into the resourced side and hold awesome. both of those things at the same time yeah. is is really the key to yeah. it, it can't all just come out all at once and that trauma does have to be renegotiated 
Um, and I suppose that that's the work I'm doing at the moment with my inner, inner child. I have a therapist who specializes in, in, in inner child work. Awesome. And, and one can actually go in and revisualize yeah. and, and rescue the child, you know. And that's what I feel like I've been on is this rescue awesome. mission to go and rescue this little yeah. girl. I, I feel I've had so much that I want to know and so much I want to learn about this stuff. Where are we going to get all the time to do that? <laughs> so um, um, there's um, a Gabor Mate movie that's just, it's a four-hour movie called The Wisdom of Trauma that's premiering, premiering in June. <laughs> and I will send you the link to this thing because the premiere, it's like a seven-day event. Oh and goodness. each day there are three hours of workshops with um, trauma specialists. Oh, wow. Like Peter please, Levine, please, like Gabo Mate, like um, Stanislav Graf. I mean, it's all the big names. Yeah. And I've registered for that. Oh, please send it to me. Yes, I'll I will. Re really appreciate that. And on that note... I am going to thank you from the bottom of my heart for a beautiful time spent together. You had a thank cup of tea. I had a cup of coffee. I apologize for the people who heard me, 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 me swallowing, but that's okay. And I can honestly talk about this stuff until the cows come home tomorrow morning. And until, and, uh, until the cows come in to be milked tomorrow morning. <laughs> but I think it's better for both of us that, that we don't because this, this stuff fascinates me. It's really something I want to know so much more about. But to get the time to learn more about it is always a, always the problem. But please send me that link. I really appreciate that. And I thank you so, so much for your time, for your amazing energy, for your willingness, for your knowledge, your beautiful sharing of everything, and for making yourself so vulnerable for us. Much appreciated. Great, great, great love. Thank you. I love that Peter was such a little bookworm when she was young. I can totally relate to that. I also think her insight and knowledge when it comes to trauma and inner child work is top-notch, and I can literally speak to her for hours. As you could tell from this episode, I'm so incredibly grateful to her and wish her thousands of hours of healing others in the future. If you want to know more about what I do, please feel free to connect with me on my website, which is www.freddy.org.za or find me on Facebook at either Meet Me in the Field or Freddy Counselor or on Twitter at at Freddy or Instagram at Freddy Counselor. Remember that Freddy is always spelled with an IE at the end. Thank you for listening. Be safe. Bye.